point of BS back, preach long if you do preach about 10 minutes. And then every time the pastor's gone, they'll bring you back. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm going to go somewhere in the middle uh, that y'all decide. But um, it's, it's hard because preaching is an incredible responsibility. Uh, to be called upon, to be given the opportunity to open scriptures um, with God's people, to open scriptures among God's people, and to utter the words, thus says the Lord, is an amazing and incredible burden that should never be taken lightly. And so I come today weary, come today scared, uh, but I also come today made even more difficult by a simple fact that most of you in this room have no idea who I am. Um, you have no reason to listen to me. Uh, I don't do life with you. Um, I have not gone experienced the ups and downs of life with you. You don't know me, nor do I know you. But just by coming this morning, you have shown your trust uh, in God that no matter what my deficiencies, and there are many, my wife's right back there, you can ask her. Um, she'd be more than happy to tell you of them. But whatever my deficiencies are, you have said, God, we know that your will, your word, and your grace will bring peace to this place today. So I'm happy to be here and to do that, but also scared. But we are going to go in our Bibles, if you have them, to Ecclesiastes 3. As you turn there, I'm going to introduce the lesson briefly. And it's simply, um, I, I think when I asked Mike, Jimmy, Jessica, and Michelle um, what I should preach from, and I mentioned Ecclesiastes, I'm pretty sure they thought I was joking. <laughs> and Michelle even responded that uh, with what good can come from Ecclesiastes was her response. And to be honest, I was joking. I, I was not planning on preaching in, out of Ecclesiastes. It was really a joke. But as I thought and prayed over this morning, what kept coming into my mind and what kept sort of leaping out to me is this coming Wednesday. If you're not uh, ready, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And it's the beginning of Lent. Now, I just told you I'm a life, lifetime Southern Baptist, so I'm not claiming here to have a definitive view of Lent Right, I grew up thinking I, there was one day a year. It's like I, I just want to wipe your forehead off. I don't understand what that smudge is. But then God, in His providence, had me twenty years ago this year meet a Catholic woman. Um, and so, in the scandal of a Southern Baptist minister's bringing Southern Baptist minister's son bringing home a Catholic woman to meet his parents. Um, But over those 20 years, um, I've learned a lot from her and her family, several priests and her family, over what this practice means and what's going on here. And it moves beyond sort of, you know, giving something up for the next 40 days, uh, such as, you know, most of the time when it comes down to two things, it's either a diet, right? We just use it as a diet. So we give up chocolate, or nowadays we give up Twitter, right? That's sort of the two. How many of y'all thinking about it for Lent? No, uh, y'all can't. Y'all nothing that dear to you. You giving up? Um, but Lent's much more than just this act of giving away something for forty days. It's much more. You know, we sort of use it as a forty days to a new us idea. But it's a season of preparation. It's a season of where we lay ourselves down before. Easter, 
It's a season where we enter into praying, fasting, this charity, giving almsgiving, charity work, um, not because of what it's going to produce in our lives, not because the next 40 days are going to change us, but because I am going to live for the next 40 days with Easter in mind. And so we give these things away. Of, it's 40 days of letting go, 40 days of clearing space, or 40 days of even living with the death. And sitting with the dying. And so in some respects, Lent is about living in, with, and around death. And so the, um, this morning, because we are Easter people, and we know that death comes from life, which is a great thing. This morning, we're going to look at the role of death in the Christian life. What role does death play for us? Because... When we live lives that constantly skirt or cheat death, we live lives that don't have space to experience newness of life. And so we're going to walk through Ecclesiastes 3 and its understanding of time and seasons and beauty to understand how to live and how to sort of guide us to live with death over the next few weeks. So Ecclesiastes 3, that was your intro. Hopefully you found Ecclesiastes by now. Um, I've learned from teaching freshmen Old Testament, you need to give them a lot more time than you think to find books in the Bible, right? Um, Ecclesiastes 3.1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then now the famous part, which I forgot again, birds, is that what you said? Birds. The birds who sang this and made this famous, and my students know this, and so we, I, use, I use this at the beginning of every semester to tell them you all, most of you know some Bible, you just don't know that it is Bible. But a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, which is sort of this theme running through Ecclesiastes. But verse 11, it's just sort of this glimmer of hope, this beautiful line that just sort of comes out of nowhere. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. That, there was nothing else we did, right? That was just written on your tombstone. You would have probably done pretty well. You were, they were joyful and did good as long as they lived. But verse 13, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure, and no better time for that than this weekend, because this weekend is what? Anybody? Mardi Gras, right? So there's a lot of eating, drinking, and taking of pleasure. Maybe not godly pleasure, but taking of some pleasure happening in all of his toil. And in the final, this is God's gift 
to man. Ecclesiastes comes to us with this understanding of time, but before we can understand it, let's understand how we normally view time. The Western culture has a very specific understanding of time. In the beginning of that, the, the way that understanding begins is we understand time as a limited resource. So we use time, we waste time, we spend time. We understand that time in this particular way is something we have, and I have so much of it, and when I use it all up, it's gone. So when we talk about a day, we do not say there's 24 hours in a day. We say there's only 24 hours in a day. Because that is something that's very limited. I have a lot to do. If you're a graduate student, if you have a job, if you have children. I have three boys. You'll hear more about them as we go along. Hey, Cooper. And um, time is not of, we do not have a lot of it, right? And so, but we use it, we, that's how we think about it. There's only 24 hours a day and we have time. as this very limited resource that I have to use. And so that leads us to understanding efficiency as the driving force or a driving force in our use of time. What we try to do is get maximum productivity out of our time. I have to get everything done. How many of you are to-do list people? You've got a, I mean, it's a, it is detailed, right? How many of you at the end of the day sit down and write the stuff you did that's not on your to-do list on your to-do list so you can put checks by it and make yourself feel better, right? <laughs> so you sit down and you're like, you know what, I didn't do that, but I did do this, so I'm going to put it down here. And you get your list, but we have this idea that everything, we have to be doing everything at the exact moment. We are very scheduled, some of us are very, very scheduled people, and it becomes this driving force to make maximum, to have maximum productivity within our time. If you look at over, um, if you can remember day planners, you know, they were these books you bought in the store that had calendars in them. They didn't come on your phone at this point. You actually, your phone didn't have a screen really at this point, right? I mean, my wife used to drive to see me in Silsby, Texas from College Station. She had, the first cell phone I ever saw was one of those bag phones. She, her dad would give her dad bought specifically so she could make this drive because her car should not have been making that drive. Um, you know, it didn't have a screen, but now everything's on here. But we bought these day planners, and first they came in months. And there was just a block for each day. The next thing you knew, it came down to these four-hour chunks. Eight to 12 was one chunk. 12 to 1 actually wasn't included because they actually expected you to take lunch. We don't do that anymore. Right, we scheduled through that, and one to five was the next chunk, and they didn't have anything for the evening. Saturday and Sundays weren't even on the calendar. It was a Monday through Friday calendar with four-hour chunks. Next, it went to hours, and we started including Saturday. And now we have, we have calendars that are not hours, that are not half hours, but are down to the minute, seven days a week. And you can schedule yourself for a meeting at 8.17 in the morning if you so choose. Because we need maximum efficiency and the problem, one of the deals we get is many of us live in guilt because by 8.30 in the morning we're so far behind what our day planner tells us we should do that all we do is spend the whole day feeling guilty and at some point we just give up and eat ice cream, right? <laughs> but on top of that, limited resource efficiency and then dependability becomes the highest virtue in our culture. If you want to get a job, go into the employer and make, the, make yourself sound dependable. That's what we want. If somebody's going to get the job done, when it's supposed to be done, how it's supposed to be done, and finish it all 
on time. And so we've got this specific understanding of time that comes to us. And as we, we begin to read time in Scripture, what happens is that clouds our understanding. We come to Ecclesiastes and we read a verse like there's a time for every matter under heaven. And we say, you bet there is. It's on my calendar at 1015 on Tuesday. That has its time. But Ecclesiastes is coming to us with a different view of time. And it's an Eastern view of time, but it also can be a, a Hebrew or ancient view of time where time is not spent in increments. Time is more about timing than actually fitting in the places. Time is not so much do I have time for this. Ecclesiastes instead comes with time, the understanding that there is a time for everything. Our first question, Mike, when he emailed me to ask me if I, I would preach, asked me, do you have time to preach on Mark 2nd? Whereas Ecclesiastes comes to us and says, it's not about do you have time. It is under the understanding that there is a time for everything. And so it comes to us with this passage of that. Next, it brings us this idea in verse 1. Both of these are in verse 1. That for everything, there is a season. Ecclesiastes understands that time is not just about timing, but that it's also seasonal. Time moves Time changes, time grows, and then time dies, and new time begins. We live in Houston, which has basically one and a half seasons, right? <laughs> and they're fighting each other over the past few weeks, right? So the day we woke up and it's 80 degrees, but by tomorrow morning it's supposed to be 35 or something degrees. And also every one of us is sick. Because our bodies, your bodies are not meant to handle what is happening out there. But if you, if you believe me, if you've ever lived somewhere outside of Houston, um, there are these places in the world that have four seasons, right? Four of them. And it starts with what we're ending right now, which is spring. Goes to? See, you, you, you learned this in elementary school, so it's okay. There's no trick question here. Goes to summer. You, we know that one in Houston. Then we have football season. That's what we know it as in Houston. And finally, our track See, I'd have you out by 12, too. Promise. Um, too, bad it's, too bad it's February or March, whatever it is. And finally, it's winter. And we understand these seasons is growing. Spring brings us new birth. Summer brings growth and harvest and plant. I mean, growth and tending to the crops. Fall brings harvest, and then winter brings death. And Ecclesiastes understands that life, and not just our overarching view of life, but things in life move through these stages. Things in life begin with new birth, but then they also are meant to die. Because in that space of death as Easter people, what we understand is that out of death comes new life. And so Ecclesiastes is walking us through this view of time that everything has its time. It's walking us through this view of time that there are seasons and time moves and things change. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But Ecclesiastes also brings us to this idea in verse 11, which is just sort of, like I said, just pops up out of anywhere where he says, and he, that's God, God has made everything beautiful in its time. There's not just a time for everything. And it's not just that seasons change. 
But in God's view and Ecclesiastes' view of time, there's everything does not just have its time. Everything has its time to be made beautiful. Beauty is a part of what God wants to do in and around us and through us. But he promises that in this thing, everything will be made beautiful in its time. The New Testament has a phrase for this that's used, that Paul uses in Galatians 4.4 where he says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That in this fullness of time, this idea that as Lent we're preparing to come to Easter so we can celebrate once again the fullness of time, but in this fullness of time, God sends his son to do beautiful things. But those beautiful things require his son's Ephesians plays with this idea several different ways. And in the first chapter it says that God has this plan, this mystery of the ages that has been brought forth in the fullness of time. And then it goes on to explain that the fullness of time came in the fullness of Christ. So that in the fullness of Christ we may enter into the fullness of God. That's the story of Ephesians moving through that God, Paul is telling them that God had this plan and this plan came to fruition in the fullness of time and what you saw was the fullness of Christ so that we may now live in everything being made beautiful or in the fullness of God. And so we come to this to Ecclesiastes and we have to begin to understand that time is not something that we use. Time is not something that we spend. Time is not always something that we just have to make maximum use of. Sometimes there is time for death. And Lent is a time when we can sit with death in our lives. It's a time where we can let old things die so that in that space, new things can come. And I'm not just talking about the death of people, but that is part of it. We have understood, I have watched um, the day Cooper, our oldest, was born. So seven and a half years ago, my dad had back surgery. And several years prior to that, my mom had started going blind to where she's now basically, if not, I mean, she says she's not blind, but we do um, but on that day when new life came our first child came my dad had back surgery he woke up with his feet on fire and that fire has moved up from his feet through his legs through, the, up through his thighs up to his waist to where now basically there's many days that he just the pain is so bad he, I, he has told me I would rather be dead than deal with and so I've had to watch this passage of time and death, and I, I've sort of fought it. I'm not saying they're going to die tomorrow, but I've watched these, these people who birthed, not birthed me, they bought me actually, I was adopted. And um, I, that's a bad joke, but sorry. Uh, that's what I tell my mom to make her mad. And um, 
I've watched them grow from these people that, that were always there and always now, and now basically I've taken care and seen death come, but I've had to learn, you know what, there's beauty in this. But more than that, in all of our lives, we have these things that we have to let go, and lengths of time to sit with that letting go. And we don't have to throw them away quickly. That's the great part about having 40 days, is we can enjoy the beauty of death. And we're going to go through Ecclesiastes is going to give us here that death has a role to play in all these different areas of our lives. And we're going to walk through everything being made beautiful in its time. And we're going to look at six different areas that Ecclesiastes gives us in this famous poem. Now, this poem has been taken to do a lot of good and a lot of bad. If you misunderstand this poem, you can find, it as, you can find justification in this poem to kill. Or you can find justification in this poem for war. You can find justification in this poem for sex um, or whatever it may be but I don't think this poem is trying to justify or provide judgment on anything I think this poem is just showing you that everything in your life will change part of walking part of life is that everything changes and that sometimes in those changes things should die so that new life can come so let's look at the different parts it gives to us in verse 2 and 3 a time to be born and a time to die. So there's a begin there will be a beginning and end to your life, but time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Those are what are those? Anybody pick them up? Birth, death, planting, harvesting. That's spring, summer, winter, fall and winter. And it says a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. It's just talking about the first activity. The first thing we get is our activities in our lives. There's a time in all of our activities. There's time for creativity and there's a time for destruction. There's time to begin new things and there's time to end them. Some of us have things in our life that we've been holding on way too long and it's time to destroy them. Because in those spots, God wants to bring new things to life. God wants to bring creative things to life in those spots so we have our activities and sometimes we are to be beginning new things and sometimes we are be, to be ending old things in all of our lives we begin and we then we nurture it and then we reap it and after we reap it it's time to let it go sometimes God will give it back to you and you'll re, we'll go through the process again but this pattern in our activities is we should see birth nurturing harvest and death we should let go of things and allow them to die and lengths a chance for us to examine the things in our life and to see what things need to die what things need to be destroyed where does new creativity need to come and it's not just our activities it's also in our emotions there's a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance Life is not, we have, we have this view in America that the best life is a balanced life, which is a lie. There's, first of all, there's no such thing as a balanced life. Um, any of us, I, I'm, more, I'm more even keeled, even tempered so than my wife is, so I'm tempted to think my life is balanced, but it's really not. My life is just boring, right? Because it's just everything sort of stays right here. I mean, she, she, she will feel the highest rush of excitement. And I'm just sort of like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But then she'll also, you know, five minutes later, if 
not five seconds, she'll be feeling the depths, right? Of, and I know this is maybe stereotypical, but this is how our relationship works. Stereo, she'll be feeling the depths of this despair. And I'm like, how in the world did we get here? Right? I don't know what I said or did because it's usually my fault. But we have this understanding that we really, what should happen is if we want to be good, we should keep life right here. And Ecclesiastes tell us, no, there's times for experiencing the highs and there's times for experiencing the lows. But there's also times to move from high to low and there's also times you have to get up and move from low to high. Our emotions cannot be allowed to control over us. And when we can take a time to look, is there emotions, is there part of me baggage, emotional baggage that I've been hanging on to that you know what, it's time it for it to die in my life. And I'm not just saying you're going to kill it. I'm saying that we, I, we know as people looking forward to the cross and the empty tomb, that in that moment, God brings new life. And I'm going to trust in these, this time that God will bring death to this and new life into my life. And some of you have been living too long. And this is, we understand that sometimes we should kill despair, but some of, some of you have been living too long with these highs. You've allowed yourself to fool yourself into thinking everything is better than it is. And it's time to kill that and live with reality that sometimes things are bad. I hope you're moving from despair to exaltation, but some of us, you may have to move the other way. But things are changing and we have to allow death into our lives. The third one is to cast away stones. And I have no idea what they say is cast away stones is a Hebrew euphemism for sex. I don't know if that's true. You can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but that's just what I read and I'm told. I have no idea how that works. I don't know how you can make casting stones about sex, but you can think of some of the ways we talk about sex and thousands of years from now, they'll be like, what in the world were they talking about? But So there's a time to cast away stones and there's a time to gather them. And there's a time, and it's a little more, it's a little clearer in the next half of this verse, right? It's a, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So let me just say this. There's a time to enjoy sex, and there's a time to abstain from sex. And if you have any questions about what those times are, email Mike. All right? <laughs> now we're moving, we're moving on from that one. Uh, third, or fourth, there's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. This comes to our possessions. There's a time to gather in God's blessings. God blesses us with possessions at times, but there's also a time to take those possessions and give them away. This is biblical authority for garage sales right here. Mm -hmm. That we should take the things we're given. It's actually biblical authority for you to take it and give it away, but if you you want to do a garage sale and then give the money away, either way, but if you keep the money from the garage sale, you're a sinner. But um, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, but kind of. But um, God blesses us with things in our lives. God gives us things. God gives us blessings. But at the end of the day, those blessings are not meant to just pile up in our corner after we're done with them. We're to take those blessings and pass them on and open up space, not the health and wealth gospel, but open up space for God to bring new blessings into our lives. I know in our own, our own life, we have once a year or so, we take our closets and sort of go through them to empty it out. You know why we do that? 
because we need the space, right? We want to put new stuff in there. So it's not like we're doing anything real all that kind. We're just getting rid of the old so we can put new in. But we go through and we clean out the closets, and I'm amazed at how much stuff's in my closet that I have not worn one time in 12 months. And this is something we've done for a while now because we had a lot of clutter until there was a period of time from right after Cooper was born that we moved five times in five years. And if you've ever moved or moved a lot, what you realize is that every time you move, you get rid of more stuff. So a lot of the clutter had been gone from our lives, but at the end of the fifth move, there was this set of boxes that ended up in our garage that in five years through five moves had never been opened. (laughs) So I made the executive decision that they would not be opened. I don't know what was in them. We still really have no idea what was in them. So I just took the unopened boxes. My point was, if we haven't needed them in five years, we don't need it anymore. But if I open that box, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to need everything in that box. Mm -hmm. So I just took the unopened boxes, put them in the back of the truck, and dropped them off. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't want to know. You're just going to have to take it like it is. But all of us have those things in our lives, those possessions, that what we need to do is we need to let go. There's a time to gather and take in the blessings of God, and we should take in God's blessings. We're actually sometimes better at giving than we are receiving, right? How many of you are that way? How many of you, how many of you can give a gift better than receive a gift? My wife, my, not my wife, my mom. There's your Freudian slip. My mom... <laughs> Cannot. She is a my Southern Baptist minister. She's a Southern Baptist minister for what for life. And what she has learned from that is I can't let anybody give me anything. And so if somebody tries to give her something, it's it's like a battle. It is a war to give my mom a gift, and it's to the point where I just don't do it anymore. Now I have justification, but and it's so bad that it's pretty funny. Anytime my mom buys something, she when she's the first thing she does when she walks on the church, walks into church on Sunday is to tell everybody around her how much it costs because she wants them to know she bought it cheap. But she has this battle going on in her head between giving and receiving. But in God's timing, there's times to receive. But after that gift is over, it's time to give back. And so as you go through Lent with your possessions, is there times? Is there places God is? Get, allowing you to gather and is there places there's times to give away fifth is a time to tear and sow a time to keep silence and a time to speak this is about learning there's a time to learn and a time to teach all of us in our lives there should be times in our lives where we should just and i hope i can say this shut up right just be quiet i teach six out of seven days of the week and i and literally twice on wednesdays a lot of times and what I'm called to do and so there's a most of my life is spent with my mouth open I'm telling somebody something which is good and bad but there has to be times in my life where I just sit down and I don't say anything I quit teaching and let those let learning come to me and in your life some of you all you've ever done is learn you just keep taking in all this information. You keep taking in all this stuff. And now it's time for you to turn around and to teach. To let it go. And then some of us that teach so much, it's time to be quiet. 
we have this culture we've created in Christianity that just we can't we can't write enough books. The bookstores are just filling up with the next wave of Christian self-help manuals. Our Christian knowledge is basically what we're doing. And we have to sometimes understand that, you know what, we got to quit doing that and go use what we've already learned. The old understanding, the ancient understanding of wisdom is not what you know, but what you do. You never understand anything until it actually produces fruit in your life. And some of us need to let that go and begin to teach and stop learning. And finally, and this is the hardest one, a time for love and a time for hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This deals with relationships. And it gets really personal because Ecclesiastes and then the Bible in general, what we see is there's sometimes to nurture relationships and there's also times to surrender relationships. There's times for relationships to grow and there's times for relationships to die. The easiest example to give of this is parenting. Now my oldest one's seven, so my boys still love me, so this is easy for me to talk about. But there's, as parents, our job is to train up to go, and then eventually we have to actually let go. We have to surrender them over. There has to be a time to allow them to go on their own. The nurturing is ended, and it's time to let them walk. And in all relationships, now this is not justification to leave your husband or wife because you no longer love them. But this is justification that in some relationships it's time to let them die. There are relationships that are harmful for you. There's relationships where you're the harmful one to others and it's time to let those relationships die. Not in the fact that, you know what, it'll never be recovered again, but in the fact that in this, in death, God works new life. I mean, it's amazing to me as a college professor, how many parents of college students call the office to ask me about their children's grades. I'm embarrassed for the students at that moment. It's, it's, you're like, you know what, mom and dad? I don't talk to them, actually. I go to the student, and the student gets just, I mean, it, it's not a good moment. But I have to go to the student and say, your parents are calling me asking you how you're doing in class. And I just want you to, t I need you to tell your parents, I will not talk to them. If you want to schedule an appointment in my office for office hours and you want to bring your parents with you, you can do that. But I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to think real highly of it. But if that's your choice, you can do that. And all of us in this room, some of us have these relationships. You know what, it's time to let them go free. And then there's sometimes, there's some relationships you're looking around you, and you know what? It's time to actually nurture, move into that relationship. We have, a, we have a neighbor, four years, four plus years, I guess. He has been our neighbor. And he is, I'm not a chatty person, and he is. It's like if you get caught, Ben Blackwell got caught in the driveway with him German night, and it was like an hour before he ever stepped inside. If you get caught in the driveway with him, you have to just learn there is no end. There's never an end to the conversation. So when you want it to be over, all you, all, the only way to make an end is to just, I don't say bye, I'll do that. You just turn around and you walk inside. <laughs> then, am I right? And then at times, I mean, he come, 
Yeah, that's all right. I'm not going <laughs> to spill on my neighbor anymore. But um, we decided sort of at the end of last year, you know what? He's lonely. I don't know. We have no idea if he knows Jesus or what he knows about Jesus. And now for four years, we've lived next to him, and we've never done anything to nurture this relationship that we're going to do it. So we started inviting him to dinner. We've invited him to church. He comes now on Wednesday nights. and the next. So every Thursday morning, I can count on this knock on the door. It's my neighbor's like, and I've never, what, what, is the, what in the world were you talking about last night? And now I have to sit at the door and talk with my neighbor, which is the one thing I never wanted to do. But it was time to nurture this relationship. And we've seen, him, we've seen it grow in this idea of this incredible, this guy has just come to life, and now he's sort of like our parent. So, I mean, last night he came, he came to our door with a, I'm, I don't know, I still haven't looked at it. I don't know what it is. It was $100 from the organic food store because he said we needed energy because our kids are crazy. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I opened the fridge this morning and there's all these drinks. I don't know what they are. I have no idea what they are. Am I joking? I'm not joking. It was $93. Teresa's like, he left the receipt in the bag. It was $93 and something cents of health drinks so that we can chase our kids in the backyard. I don't know what's going on. But you know what? This relationship is being birthed. That we see those things when we dive into this and understand that, you know what? Sometimes we let go of these things to begin new things over here. And so Ecclesiastes just gives us these broad categories of understanding our activities, our emotions, sex, possessions, learning, and relationships through the lens of Easter. It's not through the lens of life and death. It's through the lens of Easter, which means that death brings life. So life in Easter stirs from birth to growth to reaping, to death. And then from that death springs new life. And so the reality, and this is why we as Christians can come to this, the reality of living in the glow of Easter is that we can sit with death because we know it's not the end. We can linger with death because we know that it's not over. We can enjoy, and that word is strange to put with this, but we can enjoy the process of dying because we know that in death, God works life. That in death, Easter comes. And that in death, the tomb is empty because of Easter. So we have this beautiful phrase, and it's going to come back to it as we end. This beautiful phrase is that everything is made beautiful in its time. And let this Lent season be a time where you linger with the beauty of the dying. So that the surprise of Easter can come to you and bring new life into those spaces. So that the joy of the empty tomb will be real joy because you lingered that with that, those things that died on the cross on Friday.
I'm not talking about lingering with your sins. I'm talking about lingering with those things God has brought into your life that it's time for them to die. So that we can wake up together on Easter morning with the sweetness of spring around us and say, I'm alive because Christ lives in me. Let's pray. The fullness of time, God, your fullness of time is coming. And God, you are preparing your world once again to receive your son. Allow us in this Lent season to enjoy death. Don't let us cheat death. Don't let us skirt death, but let us linger in it. Let us love on it. Let us experience it. Allow death to do its work in us. Allow death to open up space for the newness of life. Allow death to come so we can experience the sweetness of spring. Amen.